Today marks the fourth in our fall sermon series, God's Top Ten List, as we focus on the Ten Commandments. I want to begin this morning by saying how important it has been for me personally to dig more deeply into the Ten Commandments that I might normally. I'm discovering things that I hadn't noticed before, which is why it's good to go back and re-explore the scriptures time and time again. Because for the most part, I think we take them for granted, these Ten Commandments, since they've been there from our early childhood, at least for many of us, it was for me, from the time I can barely remember, when we were exposed to them in Sunday school. But you know, they've actually been around for over 3,000 years. And by calling them God's top ten list, we've been trying to relate them to our contemporary culture. And I've been surprised to look at them in reverse order. Instead of starting with number one, but starting with number ten and working our way toward number one has kind of given me a, a fresh new way to see them. Because in our culture, values change and are changing rapidly. But the Ten Commandments are still the Judeo-Christian standard. One of the shifting values for many in our time is the sin is not violating a commandment, it's getting caught. Right? I mean, that's what it is for many people. If I hadn't gotten caught, everything would still be okay. There's a cartoon which pictures an 11th commandment over the the two tablets, you know, with the five commandments on one tablet and the five commandments on the other tablet. And the 11th commandment says, disregard the other ten. (laughs) How convenient that could be in our world of shifting values, where so many don't believe in all ten commandments anyway, because they want to set their own standards as if the Ten Commandments were multiple choice. For those of us who are Christians, we need to take our faith and our heritage seriously. As we look today at the Sixth and Seventh Commandments that we are dealing with, we're looking at adultery and murder. What does the church have to say in a culture where anything seems to go? Whatever you feel like doing, ah, just do it. Just do it. Listen to Sue Kaufman, author of the novel Diary of a Mad Housewife. Do you think modern life has made marriage, if not impossible, at least extremely difficult, she says? I do. Why do you suppose that is? Well, for many reasons, the greater permissiveness are changing mores. People are less willing to settle for something and work for it now. The old view of marriage, staying with someone, making it work, and working towards it, seems to be gone. People seem so pleasure-bent, so satisfaction-bent. I think because of the general feeling in the air that life is short and make hay while the sun shines and enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. All those cliches about living for the moment and all the tough things about marriage 
that are so boring and difficult make people exasperated and impatient. There's a wedding chapel in Las Vegas that doesn't say in the wedding vows, until death does us part, it just says until love does us part. Well, there you have it. What is the meaning of the marriage covenant in times as confused and fragmented as our own? When all of us in marriages read and hear in the media that the odds are working against us. Most surveys indicate that well over 50% of married men have had extramarital sex and at least 40% of women. A wife once volunteered, I was at lunch last week with 11 women. We had been studying French together since our children were in nursery school. One woman, who was facilitating the group that day, asked, how many of you have been faithful throughout your marriage? Only one woman at the table raised her hand. That evening, my husband looked heartbroken when I told him I was not the one. But I have been faithful, I assured him. Then why didn't you raise your hand? I was ashamed. How sad when the norm is the direct opposite of the biblical norm. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It should be no surprise that last week's theme of stealing leads into today. Because that's when, when you're involved in extramarital affairs, it's stealing from another relationship or vice versa. A wonderful story about a minister who was in a small town and, and he didn't have a lot of money, so he didn't have his own car. He always had to borrow one when he had to go any distance. But it was a small enough town he could get around on his bicycle most of the time. But then his bicycle was missing and he was pretty sure somebody had stolen it. So, and furthermore, he, he thought somebody in the congregation had stolen it. So he decided to change his sermon for the Sunday morning and preach on the Ten Commandments. And, and boy, when he was going to get to the Eighth Commandment about thou shalt not steal, he was really going to let him have it. So he started, you know, and the first one start with God and no other gods before me and graven images and so on and so forth. And then number five, you know, uh, honor your father and mother. Um, six, you shall not kill. And when he got to the Seventh Commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, he remembered where his bicycle was. <laughs> now we laugh because of the juxtaposition of one who is supposed to be above sin and he catches himself in sin mid-sermon. Now lest we be judgmental, lest we be judgmental of others because we have not committed adultery, which is sexual intercourse between a married person and another, not the spouse, we need to reconsider the whole of our life. None of us, none of us is so good, so pure, that we don't need to wrestle with some aspect of our two commandments today. The sermon is not about guilt. That's not what I'm here for today. And as I said before, breaking a commandment does not bring about eternal damnation. This sermon is about re-examining and refocusing 
Jesus said in our text from Matthew, Karen read for us, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that those who look at another with lust have already committed adultery with them in their heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. How many of us have ever, ever looked at another with some element of lust, of wondering what it might be like to be with another person? Now get honest with yourself. For Jesus says, you've already done it. And in the rare case that there may be a few here who can honestly say you haven't, then look at the other commandments. Coveting, bearing false witness, and gossip, stealing. I dare say none of us are pure. That may well have been Jesus' point. Because I don't believe Jesus wanted us to literally pluck out one of our eyes. If you look at someone with lust in your heart, which eye is it? Is it your right eye or your left eye? Jesus knew it was an internal thing. And it is our lens of perception we want to deal with. Right and wrong have external standards Thou shalt not commit adultery. But the key is internalizing right and wrong within the integrity of one's personhood. It is not about judgment, but learning to see things from God's perspective. Oh, and there are many reasons why people have affairs. Selfishness for sexual desires. One way of working out conflict in a marriage is to go outside the relationship and look for help. Instead of looking inside oneself and looking honestly at your your pain and your needs and working things out. All is fair in love and war, so the saying goes. Not so. With animals, perhaps. But not with human beings. No. All is not fair in love. But that does not mean anything goes. The right to live in a family comes before the right to live as an individual. But I think our society has forgotten that. We're so caught up in every single little and big individual right that we've forgotten. When we first come into this world, and begin to live and grow, we are part of something bigger than ourselves, than our individual life. We are part of a family and part of God's creation. And that thought sets the stage for our focus next Sunday when we'll look at what it means to truly honor our father and mother. Sexual desire is natural and an important part of life. To say no to sexual intercourse outside of marriage, can help us to say yes to it more and more profoundly later within our own marriage. Don't commit adultery. God said, for our good, not God's, for our good, 
Otherwise, there will be nagging memories, guilt, or moments that we wish we could just rub out. Adultery has the potential to kill relationships. Adultery has the potential to kill relationships. That's why God said, don't do it. It's another form of killing. God knows the pain it produces. It's just that often human beings don't get it until they're in the midst of the pain themselves. God knows what lack of faithfulness is. God knows what breakdown of trust is. It's what God encountered in Israel's unfaithfulness elsewhere in the Hebrew Scriptures. And it leads directly to the top commandment we will deal with in just a few weeks. You shall have no other gods before me. There are many ways to be unfaithful. We can be unfaithful just physically, which is what we in society get so hung up about. We can be unfaithful emotionally. We can be unfaithful spiritually, psychologically, and yes, of course, as we've said, physically. So whose life is it? Listen to Proverbs 6.32. The one who commits adultery has no sense. The one who does it destroys him or herself. Whose life is it? So often in cases of adultery, we think it is the, the life of the other spouse who has been violated, and it is. There can be a shattering, as I said, a death of sorts. But it is also the life of the one who does it as well. There is a loss within. As I said, this is not about laying guilt. That's not what I'm trying to do on people for past or present behavior. Neither is it saying anything goes. It's not a big deal. People who have violated a trust and are aware of it know their guilt all too well. The key is what we're going to do on the inside. And what's going on at the heart level of your relationships? Whose life is it really? And as we examine this question more fully, we realize it applies very similarly to the Sixth Commandment. You shall not murder. You shall not kill. The Hebrew word for murder in the Old Testament meant violent and unauthorized killing. It, can, it could be compared to premeditated murder out of revenge or anger. Now, I seriously doubt there is a murderer here this morning or even viewing on our live stream. Most murderers who aren't in prison aren't in church either. And while few of us could ever truly envision ourselves murdering another person, it is constantly going on in the world around us. Far, far too much. The problem is, it's happening so much now, we've almost become insensitized to it. It's hard to watch the evening news and not hear of some mass shooting, murder, hate crime, whatever. Anger, hatred, and violence gets the better people. 
And not unlike adultery, a person can murder another because they are working out a conflict outside themselves as opposed to the harder way, which is working the conflict out within themselves in the context of relationship. The Sixth Commandment did not originally mean all killings, and it did not refer to capital punishment. But over time, through the New Testament, we could surmise that it is God's intention that we not take other human life. Life is not ours to take. It's God's. It's God's gift. Just as it is a gift to you, it is a gift to every other single child of God. Who is that? Everyone. God's heart breaks and aches when human beings take each other's lives. Each human being here on earth is God's. None, none is worthless. You are not your own. And while we are not to murder, neither are we to steal or take life. God's overarching intention is that we should all have life. But how often, knowingly or unknowingly, have we taken life? Just, just a portion of another person? Just a portion of someone else? Have we ever disabled another person from enjoying the fullest life of which he or she is capable of? Have we stolen something of that? If you don't think the Sixth Commandment applies to you, just listen again to Jesus, this time in verses 21 and following. You've heard it said that those, to those in ancient times, you should not murder, whoever murders shall, not, shall be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to the judgment. You fool. When you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave the gift. Go to the altar and go before uh, to be reconciled with your brother or sister. And then come back to offer your gift. You see, Jesus knew the truth that you kill the life God intended for you when you kill another person physically or emotionally or spiritually. Jesus was not concerned with the unholiness of people, their lack of perfection. He was concerned with restoring right relationships. And it even had to do with a right relationship with yourself. You shall not kill yourself, he might have said. You shall not kill yourself. What you do with yourself is not simply a private matter that concerns only yourself. Oh, many people think that. But when you squander your time, when you squander your service, when you squander your love, you are taking a portion of your life. For your life is intended to contribute to the life of your brothers and sisters. To squander and withhold, well, 
that draws you into your life and keeps your life from others. So again, I ask, whose life is it? It is always the life of the one murdered and the one from whom a portion of life is taken or disabled emotionally, physically, spiritually, or mentally. But it is also your life that is taken as well. You see, there is good news in the midst of all this heaviness of adultery and murder. The law of God is liberty. Not from responsibility, but always toward mercy. The writer of James talked about it in the passage that should have been in the scripture text for this morning. It says that Without mercy, no one can receive mercy, but God's mercy is always extended, and mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But so many people in the Christian church get that turned upside down. They want to focus all on judgment. You either do it right or you're going to hell. That's not the message. The message is mercy. Not to excuse the inappropriate, hurtful, damaging behavior. We want to get it right. But mercy is the everlasting word. You see, there is good news in the midst of all these things. You know, you, you know the story of the woman caught in adultery, right? Did it end in judgment? No. Jesus looked at all those who were ready to judge and stoned her to death. They had every right to do it because it was there in the Old Testament law. And Jesus said this, and I say it to each one of us. Let the one without sin cast the first stone. Could be you. It's certainly not me. And then he said, go and sin no more. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the good news of our gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. God's top ten list, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder. Why? Because whose life is it? It's yours. It's yours and you embrace your life when you follow these guidelines that God offers to give more life, not take away from life. So it's your life. And when you recognize it's your life, it's everybody else's too. It's everybody else's too. Amen.